Hello, this is Joshua Schmidt coming back to you with another episode of the Nerd Assassin podcast. In this series, we've been looking at the foundations of economics, starting with The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Today, we're going to look at Chapter 4, which is titled Of the Origin and Use of Money. The big claim that I took out of the chapter from Adam Smith is that money is a necessity for the proper exchanging of goods and services. If you look at when the division of labor is first established, even to a very small part, most of what I make and consume is not, most of what I make is not consumed by me. Most of the stuff that I consume is received through exchanging. Here's a quote from the book. Every man lives by exchanging or becomes in some measure a merchant and society itself grows. But very early on that we start exchanging, the market becomes clogged. You might make something that I don't want or need right now, but you want the nails that I'm making, for example. But we can't make an exchange at that point because I don't need any. You're a brewer and I'm a baker. You might want some of my bread, but all you have to exchange for me is the beer that you make, but my fridge is already full of beer. So there's no exchange and everyone becomes less helpful to each other if we cannot make a useful exchange. So what men in society ended up figuring out is they need to keep some sort of commodity on hand, which almost everyone is willing to trade for. One of the first examples of this is cattle. Almost everybody needs more cattle, whether it's for the milk or the meat. So if I have some extra cattle on hand, I'll have something we can exchange. Another one that was used early on was salt. If I have a big pile of salt, that's always something I can trade for, especially if you think in the future somebody else is going to want this salt in exchange for it. So even if I don't need salt, I'd be willing to take on salt because I can exchange it later on for another good. Some other examples early on were shells, cod, tobacco, sugar, leather, or Adam Smith even talks about in the highlands of Scotland, there's communities that use nails. So everyone walks around with a pocket full of nails that they can exchange for goods because they know someone else is going to be willing to exchange them in the future. Just about every society ends up having a preference for this um, commodity to be metal. And there's two good reasons for this. One, there's little loss for keeping it. So if you compare this to cattle, for example, I need to feed it all the time. If it gets sick, I need to make sure it's okay. I need to make sure it doesn't die. And then I lose all that value. So there's a lot of loss that you can get for cattle. Or let's say I have a pile of tobacco and that's sitting in a storehouse because I'm because this person's uber wealthy. That could start to rot and get some sort of disease on it and all of a sudden I lose all that value. Whereas metal, if I put metal up on my shelf, there's almost no chance that it's going to deteriorate in some way. And there's no maintenance for me to keep keep it going. The other reason that metal is usually used for this is it's divisible. So if I, if I want to buy salt and all I have and our means of exchange in our society is a cow, I need to buy a heck of a lot of salt. And if I need more than one cow's worth of salt, I now have to double that amount that I'm going to purchase. Whereas 
metal, I can divide it. I can cut a piece off. I can shave some of it off and we can exchange it in pieces. And also the metal can get put back together again. So like, for example, we talked about tobacco being used or leather. I could cut those apart, but it's hard to put them back together again. Whereas metal, I can melt and put back together. So if I had a bunch of coins that I wanted to make into a bar, I could do that. In the early days, Sparta would use a lot of iron for this. The Romans would use a lot of copper, but almost everybody ends up using gold or silver at some point in their society. Originally, this metal took the form of bars without any sort of stamp or coinage. But there's a couple of issues of using metal in this rude state of just having a chunk of copper. One is weighing it. So all of the time I need to go in, and even if I'm buying something small, you can imagine it's being really inconvenient to have to get out a scale and make sure that this chunk of metal that you have is an ounce or is a pound. And it becomes really inconvenient, especially with something like gold, where you need something highly accurate because a small amount of gold is very valuable. The second issue that came in was a saying. A saying is where I determine the content or quality of something. So you could imagine there's a lot of fraud back in the day where somebody would take a chunk of copper, melt it down, mix it with something that still looks and feels like copper but isn't in order to defraud somebody by exchanging a bar of copper, exchanging here's 10 pounds of copper, but in reality it's only 8 pounds of copper and 2 pounds of something else, like gold with fool's, fool's gold, for example. And the only way that you could really tell whether or not something is a pure metal is to actually melt down the whole thing. So almost impossible process to do out in a marketplace. You'd only really be able to do this with some sort of large purchase. So the solution that societies came up with was to affix a public stamp on the metal to prove its goodness and fineness. They would print this just on the top of the bar which would still allow you to cut it into pieces so you didn't have to do one full bar. You can look back in Genesis, Abraham actually says that he weighed 400 pieces of shekels when he was buying a plot of land to bury his wife Sarah in. So at this point he knew that it was a shekel. He knew that the metal was what it said it was, but you still had to weigh it out. In order to solve this weight problem, they ended up stamping both the top and the bottom of the coin. So that way you could tell that it was one full piece of coin and they didn't cut something off the bottom of it. And at this point, then you could simply count how many of them you're giving me. And originally these denominations were meant to show the weight of the coin. So you would bring it to some sort of central authority, stamp the top and bottom to say, this is a pound, this is 16 ounces of silver. Or they had the concept of a Troy's pound that was 12 ounces. And then I might not always want to do a full pound, so they had a penny weight, which was 1 20th of an ounce. So you'd have pounds, you'd have an ounce, you'd have penny weights. And even shilling was originally a weight, even though it was less standardized across the region. Some places might have a shilling be this much compared to that much. So these denominations all were all based on weight. And when that ended up breaking that direct correlation was because the people managing the central authority ended up, the kings and the princesses, kings and princes were doing something corrupt. So at some point, the Roman pound got down to one half of an ounce, which was 124th of the original value. And 
it wasn't just Romans. The English got it down to a third, the Scots a 36th, and the French even got it down to 166th of its original value. And the reason that the princes and rulers would do this is in order to look as though they are paying their debts, but give up less silver. So you can imagine if me, the Prince of Scotland, owed the Prince of England a certain amount of silver, I could give him 1,000 pounds, quote-unquote, and in reality, because I've shaved the weight of it some, it's only 950 pounds. So I could pay back all my debts and give up less actual silver from my stores, which essentially made all debtors better off than creditors. Because once the central authority is making them all smaller, I borrowed at X amount, and I was paying back less than that. So the creditors were kind of getting screwed in this scenario. And this can actually be thought of as one of the first depreciations in anxiety. There are rules that determine the value of goods in proportion to these into the money. But when we say value, we can mean two things. So to define those, Adam Smith has this quote, the word value has two different meanings. Sometimes the utility of an object and sometimes the power of purchasing other goods. So you, get, you have what he calls the value in use, the actual utility, what I can, what actual good it can do for me by using it, or you have the value in exchange. When I'm, what's the purchasing power of this? And usually these two values are actually inversely proportional. So if something has a lot of use, you can't really exchange it for a lot. Whereas something that you can exchange for a lot usually doesn't have a lot of use. One example is water. Water is perhaps one of the easiest things to use, has one of the greatest uses for society, but it's hard to exchange for other things. It's hard for me to go down and bring somebody a pail of water and say, I want to exchange this for something that you have. I want a loaf of bread. But if you compare it to a diamond, diamonds don't have a lot of use for your life. You can look at them and that's about it, but they can be exchanged for a heck of a lot. The next three chapters, Adam Smith is going to look at what the principles are that regulate value. So one thing that we'll look at is what is the real measure of exchangeable value? What is the real price of all commodities, the real worth of them? And then we'll look at now that we know that this is the real price, what are the component parts that add up to equal that real price? What, are, what is the real price made up of? And thirdly, we're going to look at why the market price, the price that I actually go and pay for something, differs from this real price. Why can it sometimes be higher or lower? What is, how does the market not set everything at the real price? What are these factors? So again, in this chapter... We, re we talked about how money is a necessity for the proper exchanging of goods and services. If you want to continue this conversation, feel free to reach out to me at The Nerd Assassin on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Otherwise, subscribe so you get notified when the next episode comes out. I'll see you all next week.